You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about some playing time, preseason, matchups, rotation, and swinging when there's a block in front of you. This is a, a compilation of a lot of things that happened this weekend at a tournament that I hosted, and I had a chance to have some great conversations with some great coaches, and I want to bring that to the podcast and share it with all the listeners. So this is an episode you definitely don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 174 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Uh, Another week of volleyball in our books, and I'm excited to have jump on the pod today and have a nice conversation with you. Well, a conversation that is only going to be me, but, you know, have a a nice episode with you guys about um, some takeaways some big takeaways from a tournament that I hosted this weekend. Um, but before we get into that, just want to say welcome to the podcast to all my new listeners. Um, if you're new to the pod, my name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And if you are a regular listener, as always, you know what it is. We are going to try to deliver valuable step-by-step strategies, tangible things that you can take back to your gym right away. This is a, this is a podcast where... You don't have to sit here for an hour and maybe get two takeaways. I don't. I, I don't. I don't believe in that. I want you to get as many takeaways as possible. And for new listeners, you know the the best. I think the best comment I ever got about the podcast was that it was like attending a coach's clinic every week. And ever since I got that comment, and this was a, f- a couple of years back, that that's kind of been the the pillar of these podcasts. Is I want it to feel like you're coming and you're taking away things just like you would take away at a, um, at a at a coach's clinic, you know? Like I want you to be able to come and take notes on this episode and learn and go back to your gym and apply it. Not just listen and take a, you know, and be able to take things away that you can't apply to your team. I want to be I want you to be able to take things away and apply it to your team. And that's why I love doing these episodes and that's why I will continue doing them because it's a free resource that you can do, you can use and get better as a coach. So with that being said, you know, I, I don't I don't really ask this very much, but I encourage you coaches, if you've been listening to me for a week, you know, a month, a couple months, even even a few years, you know, I've been doing this this podcast since June of 2020, you know, so just over three years now, and you found anything valuable share the podcast with a, with a fellow coach, you know, share it with your clubs, your high schools, anyone that you think that would, that this would help, you know, I, I encourage you to share it with them. And, um, you know, the easiest way to do that is to just share it on social media. You know, you see an episode you like, copy the link, put it in your story. And it's, and, and selfishly for me, it helps grow the platform and grow the podcast so I can reach more coaches. Um, and my mission if you haven't, if you haven't known yet, my mission is to is to grow this game and help as many coaches as I can because I know that coaches are the key to growing this game. You know, athletes are great. Don't get me wrong, but for every coach that I can help, they can help you know twelve to fourteen athletes minimum, even more. And that's uh, that's the whole reason that I started this podcast was to you know 
it, it's it's a it's an avenue where I can deliver things that can help, and that's why we're doing this. So let's talk about let's talk about this weekend. So I host every year. Um, I host a, a volleyball tournament, um, not a high school volleyball tournament, but an actual college volleyball tournament. And normally we do like an eight-team tournament. It's a small tournament. We have eight teams. Uh, it's, a, it's a great way of it's a great opportunity for teams across the province to get to play. You know, other teams in different divisions. Uh, you know, we have teams coming down from. You know, we have the University of Ottawa. You know, we got teams all over the west and the east. So you got you know your Fanshawe. You have us, Georgian, Niagara, Fleming, Cambrian. You know, Canador, all over. Ontario and it was it was amazing to see some good volleyball and there was a lot of conversations that took place and there was a lot of uh, notes and a lot of analysis and you know it's, it's a tournament with high level volleyball and obviously you're gonna there's gonna be things to take away from it and you know I was I was talking to and this this is you know this is what stri- kind of striked up this episode I was talking to a bunch of different coaches and just listening to all the preseason tournaments that were taking place you know over the last few weeks and a couple coaches were like, you know, in the past, teams were using preseason to get all their players in. You know, we wanted every player to maximize their minutes because sometimes, you know, players, when the regular season starts, there's going to be players that are on the bench because they're not going to touch the floor. You know, when the regular season starts, most coaches are going with a seven to maybe 10 person rotation. And that's it, which means you're going to have you know, 14 to 18, no, sorry, you're going to have like four to eight players who never touched the floor that season. Some coaches just run a seven to eight person rotation. And many coaches just run a seven person rotation. They have their starting lineup and they go. And everybody else, unless there's an injury, unless there's uh, someone not really holding their weight, and then they might have to make a sub. But for the most part, at the higher level, coaches are running a, a seven-person rotation with a may, maybe eight or ninth player in that rotation. So, so here's the here's the thing, you know, in preseason, how do you balance? And this is why I pose the question: How do you balance getting player? Like, do you balance getting players in as as much players as possible, or do you focus on your starting eight nine players because your regular season's right around the corner? And a lot of coaches were were sharing that this year, as more than more than the past, you know, they found that at these preseason tournaments, teams are trying to win it, and they're going with a smaller rotation. Now, they may get players in maybe half a set, one set, but that's it. So in a tournament, bench players may see half a set, some may see a full set, but that's it. They won't see much more than that. And it was interesting because. That you know, you know, and they were they were coaches that I respected that came up to me because I'll tell you we we played so we played um, in our pool one one of the weaker teams and, and no disrespect to this team at all, uh, but one of the weaker teams in our pool, we decided to not play our starters. We decided to play you know our rotational you know our not not our bench but our second unit, and we didn't start. We only I think we only played one starter in uh in in that entire match we played one starter maybe two over the course of a three-set match and we got 3 0 we lost 26 24 we lost 25 23 and then the third set i think it was like 25 18 19 something like that so we lost and if we had won just one set 
Okay, if we had won just one set, we'd have been playing in the bronze medal match. Uh, but because we didn't, we were in a three-way tie for second place, and we were we we were the bottom of the three-way tie. <laughs> so, you know that. So the question do I you know I ask myself is should I have played a few of my starters for at least one set to get the win? Well, not I, and that's not even guaranteed, but to at least compete for the win or not. And the other side to that was, and this is the side that I. I originally took was, you know, our starters are still going to get a ton of minutes this tournament, right? They, our starters played in two matches and our bench played in one match. So our starters got, still got a ton of minutes. And then I said to, to our coaching staff for this particular game, we're going to play, we're not going to play the starters. We're going to play all the other guys who may not get to see playing time when the season starts next week so that we can see where they're at. We can see what level they're coming in at. We can maybe, again, we're trying to figure out who our go-to guys are on the bench that we may be able to sub in at any given time in case a starter is not holding their weight or in case a starter gets injured or you know, bad game, et cetera, serving subs, all that stuff. We want to see who our guys are. And you know, having them play in one set isn't enough, you know, because we can't assess certain things. Like, for example, if a player has a bad set, we can't assess, if we don't put them back in, we can't assess how they bounce back from playing a bad set. Do they make, do they make adjustments? Do they, uh, you know, how do they go about with their decision-making and things like that? So there's two sides to this coin. One, do you play everybody in a preseason tournament? Two, do you try to win it? Or three, do you do do you have a balanced rotation, a balanced rotation, um, and I think that that's probably the better option is having the balanced rotation because we didn't have a balanced rotation because we wanted to maximize the playing time for every single player that would not get to play in um, in the regular season. We wanted to maximize, so we didn't do a balanced rotation because we only had one starter still in. And, and then a secondary starter. So the question I asked myself, do I go balanced, which I, which I just said might have been the right decision, or do I just keep the developing players in there? And I had some conversation with some coaches. Some coaches were like, no, you should, you should have gone balanced. What are you talking this, this is college volleyball. It's not club. It's not high school. The goal is to win, and the goal is to, yes, we want to develop, but you can still have a balanced roster, develop those few players, and still have your starters get quality minutes and get the wins because we also want to train our team how to win games, right? So that was the one thing. And the other thing from coaches and from coaches that I respect too, but I was like, no, you did nothing wrong. They're not going to get to develop after that tournament. They're not going to see the court. So they need these reps. They need those quality reps so they can build off that. They need to face that adversity. They need to face that loss. They need to lose. So that they can see what that what that is like and get and get that second chance to maybe come back and win a set, they need to go through that. They need to go through feeling what it what it's like to lose an entire match, and not have starters come and bail them out. And um and I and I and I like that mindset. And that's the mindset I've had by the way since I can remember. That's the mindset I've had every tournament. When I go into tournaments, I try to win. Don't get me wrong, but I try to win with a developmental mentality because at the end of the day, it's preseason. It doesn't matter. There is no like no record or anything like that. It's not going to affect our record in the standings. It's not going to affect our rankings or anything. Like that. It's nothing. It's simply a way that we can develop. We can get better. We can assess. 
and we can move forward. So this whole long conversation and story that I'm telling you is because there is no right answer to this question. There isn't because every coach is going to be different. There's going to be the coaches that are going to go into tournaments trying to win it and they try to win it with their best lineups and they try, they'll do a mixed lineup, like a, a, like a balanced lineup for some games where they're trying to get some bench players in. All right, so that, that means that you'll never, ever get a chance to have all your bench players in at once. You'll have to kind of go like in and out, like Matt, like, you know, try one here, try one there. And that might be something that I, I look into doing in the future, right? I'm, I, I, haven't, I haven't done that yet. I've only had the entire, rest the entire starting lineup for an entire match. So they can sit back and see. And, and, and then, there's, then there's my, what I've done is just have my entire bench out there. All right, I have my secondary setter. Have my, have my P3 and my P4. You know, my secondary opposite, my secondary libero. Have them and have them go through an entire match and see who rises to the occasion. See who, you know, really, really takes it their, their game to another level and see what there is. And 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 now that I'm talking out loud, you know, just listening to the pros and cons, I'm I'm in the I'm in the mindset of we're playing three matches, my starters are gonna get two out of the three anyways. Let's give our let's give the bench an opportunity to really try to develop go through the trials and tribulations of a three set and you know, a best three out of five match. And then they have much, they have much more data that they can draw on to make a good analysis from and, and be better. And we'll have more, more film that we can look at and things like that. So that's, so that's that. Okay. So that's, um, that's one that's playing time in preseason. That's the conversation you got to have with your coaches. Uh, and it's just funny with us. It was like, everyone was like, well, if you just played your starters or a mixed lineup for one set, you would have won or you could have won. And then I would have been on the bronze medal match. And you know, that's, it is what it is. That's, that's okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about matchups. So matchups and rotation. This is one thing I want to, I want to talk about as well. Uh, when you're determining matchups for games, you know, we all, you always want to see, you know, what, what, what's your best front court? What's your best back court? And we had a, a conversation that I had to educate the players a little bit on. And the coaching staff looked at me as well. So we, we, we have one rotation that we're really poor in. Okay. And what we, what the conversation was is because we're poor on that rotation, we don't, we didn't have a, we, the, the argument was, you know, our middle and our left side on that rotation is not converting, but on our other lineup, we had our, our best our best left side and our best middle on that lineup. So the question the co- the player said, well, "Why don't we just swap one of them? Like swap the left sides. That way we'll have a strong left side on one rotation and we'll have a strong middle on the other rotation." And here's where I disagree with that. And you could disagree with me, by the way. There's no this is not my words, not the final word. But what I've noticed in my experience is if you do that, your offense becomes so much more predictable. Because you're going to have a go-to on each line that the other team is going to know about. So it's an easy release, and they prioritize your go-to hitters first. And that's where you run into issues. Because if my go-to hitters are on opposite lines, there it's just so much easier for them to read and put up a good defense, a block defense against us. Now, if they're on the same line... Those three rotations become really strong for us, where they they're they're gonna they gotta figure out how to defend that. And then when the pipe when the backcourt player goes, you know, when the frontcourt player goes back row, he's now our pipe option. 
right? So we still have our best attacker swing in pipe, middle, and maybe the weaker left side is front court, but we still can spread our offense a little bit. And that, that, is, a, that is a much better solution than having a bet, one best middle and one best left side on opposite, on opposite lines because you're going to run into a very predictable uh, offense, and that's going to be easy to stop. Very, very easy to stop. And the other thing too is what happens if you're not in system? Like, And when that middle's front row and you're not in system, he's now, your go-to option is not there anymore and you have to go to your pins and you're going to have to go to your M, your P2, your second. And then and then it gets it can be even more problematic. So really, really, really think about that. Okay, so what I would say is instead of trying to figure out, you know, how to switch up matchups and switch up your lineups or to, you know, here's what you got to do. Figure out how you can score out of those weak rotations. How are you going to score out of those weak rotations? That's what you got to figure out. And there's many ways we can train it. Here is my favorite way. is this, And this is where stats come in. Because if you're doing stats in games, you should be able to figure out which is your weakest service rotation. What is your weakest rotation? And once you figure that out, and maybe you have multiple, maybe you have two, now we have to train it. So an easy way of training it is playing a game. So six on six, okay? The score starts at 21-21. That's what the score starts at, 21-21. And you have your, your team in your weakest rotation. And they have to stay in that weak rotation for the entire rest of the match, entire rest of the set. They have to stay in that rotation. So they have to win the game in that set and you're 21-21 so now it's end of the game late game situation what are you going to do and the game's at 25 this is a really 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 great drill to do it six on six put your team in the weakest rotation and go from there and if you have multiple you do six on six 21-21 and then when the game's over you switch to your other weaker rotation and we go from there to execute because they got to see more reps they have to see more reps in those uncomfortable situations or it's it's just not gonna be. It, it, they they need to see it more than more than just playing a regular six on six. And when they get out of that rotation, it's like great, and then move on to the next one. No no no, we got to train it. So six on six, they only stay in that rotation, and they um and that means that when they pass, they pass, and if they score, they stay in that rotation. But you can get service to serve, like the back row can serve, and that's fine. They can, they get extra serving reps, and then they stay in that rotation. And then the other team can practice and rotate and whatever else you want to do. Okay, so that's what I would say in terms of rotation. I spoke a little bit about you know managing what your you know what your your best front court, your best back back court, and trying to balance it out. Just be very careful that you you don't have one strong player on one line and one strong player on the other line. You have to have more than one option on a line. It's you're better off having more than one option on one line and zero options on the other line than balancing it out because then then we can train that zero options to be something because like I said in our game I've said this in the past volleyball is designed for offense to win so we have to figure out a way that we can create an offense to win um, in those weaker rotations okay the third thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about so we talked about playing time in preseason talking about matchups and rotation I want to talk about swinging when there's a block okay so at this tournament i noticed that there was there was a few teams that were really really big like you know everyone was over well over you know six three six four there's a couple six nine six tens and big there's big 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 teams okay 
Uh, our team, nah, I would say our team is small. I don't think our team's big. Yes, of course, we have our you know our six six middle and six three left side, and but we're still relatively small compared to the league. And when I was looking at a lot of offense that was happening in the tournament, you know, I noticed that there was a lot of teams that struggled to swing with a block. Okay, they um, they struggled, and more so on the right side. I noticed a lot of teams struggled with the right side attack, and including ours, by the way, including our team. Our team struggled a little bit on the right side. And there were some things that I noticed that I wanted to bring to the pot to share with you guys so that you can, look, you know, you can help your players when it comes to swinging with a block. So the first thing is that when you're swinging with a block, okay, and, you're, and let's say your front court, for example, we want to avoid broad jumping. That's the first thing. And I, I want you to ask yourself if any of your players are broad jumping. You know, when the, when the, when the athlete takes off and lands, there should be like a 30 to 40 centimeter difference from when they take off to when they land. And the key to fixing that, by the way, is making sure their posture is tall. Like they should be staying tall. They should be driving up with their hips. So when they're taking off, look at when they take off, their chest should not be facing the ground. If their chest is facing the ground on takeoff, that's where they're, they're going to end up broad jumping into the net or further than they need to be. So make sure their chest is facing forward or facing up when they're jumping, when they're taking off. So when they're in that loaded position, when their hands are back, their chest should be up. Their chest should not be uh, facing the ground. So that's a really thing, a really key thing to make a note of. And so no broad jumping, okay? Keeping your chest up on approach. And another thing is, you know, you have to keep the ball in front of you so you can see the block. And this is where contact point comes in. You know, a lot of times I saw uh, outside hitters, right side hitters, opposites, they were contacting the ball right above their head. And that's not the right contact point. It should be well in front of you, like in front of your forehead. Not, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do it with my hand, but like r not even in front of your forehead, like kind of like, what is this, a 45 degree angle? Maybe a little higher. No, it's not 45 degrees. It's bad. Maybe like 70 degrees, 75 degrees. Like that's where we should be, right? If this is 90, what is this? Like 80, 75, like 75 degrees is kind of where you want to be. It, but long story short, it needs to be in front of your hitting shoulder and in front of your body so you can see the ball. You want to keep the ball in front of you so you can see the ball and you can look at the block in your peripheral. And peripheral just means you're not staring at the block. You're staring at the ball. But you know how, and I, I do this all the time. If, if you were to like right now, while you're listening to this, if you were to focus on something, some item, focus on some item, as you're focusing on, on that item, you can still see things around you, but you're still looking at that item. So like me, I'm looking at my computer screen right now, but I can still see things around the room, even though I'm looking at the computer screen because my peripherals pick those up. So your peripherals are gonna, can pick up a lot of things, and we want to see that. We have to you train our hitters to see that, okay? Another point about swinging with the block is keeping your head as still as possible. We don't want our heads going up because if our head is looking up, then it's going to be almost impossible to see the block until it's too late. We want our head to stay straight and our eyes to look up. There's a big difference there. Your head is straight, but your eyes look up to track the ball because when your head is still, you can see things a lot more easier and you'll be able to see the block a lot more easier and make the right decisions.
Okay, so really, that, that's a really important point. Your head should be still and straight, but your eyes are the ones that are doing the movement. Okay, if your head move, if your head moves, if your head movement changes, if your head looks up, your your viewpoint is completely different, and that be, that could be you know that could be a problem. So you shouldn't bend your head back. Okay, if you bend your head back, you lose visibility of the block. Head as still as possible. Eyes only move. Okay, and then when you're in the air, and you're about to contact the ball, or you're looking at the ball. What should your peripherals be focusing on when it comes to the block? Well, they should be kind of focused on the hands. Now, you want to see the hands. You want to see the hands. Um, one of the one of a coach that I, I can't remember which, which coach this was, but it was a coach I respect. Um, he was like a really good uh, rule of thumb is to look at the hand uh, that's in between the antenna. So let's say you're a left side attacker. So whoever your blocker is, if their right hand and the antenna has space. You know, swing off their hands out on the line, like swing the line. If their hands are closing the antenna, then that's a sign where they, they've closed the they've closed the line out. So you got to go in the other direction. So a, real, a simple way of doing that is just to look at the uh, the uh, the inside hand is or the uh, the outside hand. Okay, so if I'm a left side attack, I'm going to look at the right hand of the blocker and see if there's any space between the right hand and the antenna. And if there is, hit that space. Very very difficult to block or even get a, a slowdown. It's probably going to go out off the blocker's hands, okay? And a, and a really simple drill you can do uh, to practice this is um, have a, like have blockers in four, okay? Or, or, or two, depending on if you're trying to go right side or left side. Um, so let's say you're trying to go right side now. Have blockers in four, okay? Two blockers, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, shoulder. And then before each toss, one blocker goes up or two blockers go up. You decide. You can have a coach standing in the back of the hitter so the hitter can't see. And they can signal two blockers or one block. And this way, your your pin hitter will have a ton of practice seeing hands, seeing live blockers, and making decisions on what to do with those blockers. And that's a, a really simple way of practicing it. Um, I I was I, I do use pads sometimes, but that's just for warm-up. I would probably use hands because hands are more realistic, and they want to see what, you're, what they're going to see in a game. They're going to see hands in a game. So use it like you would in a game, Okay. So let's just do a quick recap because um, this there's a, we talked about a couple things here. Playing time preseason, okay? Playing time preseason. Oh, and by the way, um, if you're interested in getting more training about you know uh, different positions and attacking from different positions, um, I have a ton of courses inside on all the positions of our game and how to train for it tactically. So go to digitalvolleyballacademy.com um, and get more information there. You'll find it in. So basically, if in case you don't know which I know many of you do. Digital Volleyball Academy is my signature membership program for volleyball coaches. It's my mentorship academy for volleyball coaches. We have over 250 coaches in there. It's amazing. Um, and I basically teach coaches how to create championship programs through the system that I've created. And it's an amazing system because it takes it, it, it matches a coach's journey. So you can find yourself wherever you are in your coaching journey and you'll know exactly what you need to do to get to the next level. It's kind of like a university curriculum if you think about it that way. I've, I've designed it in, in the path of a, of a coach from all the way from beginner all the way to pro. Um, so anyways, digitalvolleyballacademy.com, long story short, it's there. So recap, the conversation around playing time, you have to make a decision as a coach. What are your short-term goals and what are your long-term goals? Are your short-term goals to win the tournament? Then you go with your best eight and you go from there. Maybe you do a mixed lineup to get some guys, maybe like 15 points, maybe a set. Do you go strictly development? In that case, you have your starters play against the teams that you want your starters to play against. And your entire bench 
play against the teams that you think they're they're better for their caliber to see what they can show. And and one 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 caveat I will say though is if your entire bench cannot compete in the tournament that you're at, then you can't do that. Like your bench has to be able to be competitive. Because if they're not and the game is way too advanced, like that whatever team you're playing is much much better where they're not going to gain a single takeaway from it, then you can't do it. And you have to go balance lineup. You have to, or be more specific about how they are entering the game. Maybe they're a serving sub. Maybe they're a defensive specialist. You know, be creative in the way that you go about it. But that it has to be competitive. Okay, so that's that. Um, uh, and then yeah, so those are, those are the couple of takeaways you can go from there. Uh, developing. So I, for me as a coach, you know, I'm I'm a developmental minded coach. So you know, I would definitely want to get all my players in in a preseason tournament so they can get development. Because for for us, like many of like that one game that our bench played, that was many of many of those guys. That was their first college volleyball match ever, so they would never get that otherwise. So something to think about there. Um, matchups when you're setting up your lineup. So be very careful if you're trying to, you know, have one option front court and then on the next rotation the another option front court. You don't want to do that because if you do, then it's so easy to defend. Okay, you want to figure out what your weaknesses are in terms of your matchups and rotations and train it. So if you have a weak rotation, if you, let's say let's say your rotation five is really weak, then what you do is at your next practice, you play a game, 21-21, all right? Go in that rotation and you have to finish the game in that rotation. You can't rotate out of that rotation. You have to stay in that rotation for the rest of the game. I mean, it's, it's 21-21, so it's not that long and see how you close out in that moment. Okay, so really, really good drill, and it's since it's twenty one twenty one, it kind of triggers that like, you know, we 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 need to we need to work now. Okay, it um it triggers that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't remember the word I'm looking for, but you know, it's like go time. That's what we're doing. Okay, and then the last thing that I talked about was swinging with a block. You know, it's an important skill. We we have to train our players not to be afraid of the block, but rather to embrace it and understand that you still have the advantage, even if it's a sealed block. You still have the advantage, and you ha- what you do with that is going to be important. So keep the ball in front of you, okay? Not on top of your head. Keep it in front of you so you can track it much easier and look at the block with your peripheral. Have your head still. Not Your, your head should never be tilted up because if your head's tilted up, you won't be able to see the block until it's too late. So have your head still and your eyes look up. Your eyes track the ball because if your head goes up, then you're going to lose visibility of the block and it's over, Okay? Um, when you're in the air, you want to look at their hands. That's probably the best advice. And, and one of the best advice I got was the hand closest to the antenna to see if there's any space there so you can make a play on it. Um, and then avoid broad jumping. You know, this is something that younger athletes do all the time. You want to be going straight up, straight down. Uh, you know, 30 to 40 centimeters is a, is a good range of when you're taking off to when you're landing. And the key to looking at this is if when they're taking off, when they draw their hands back, to go for that jump, make sure their chest is not facing the floor. If their chest is facing the floor, then you know um, their um, their their technique is off, and they're going to be going more forward than than is necessary. Okay, and a, a great way to train this is you know have um, uh, two blockers blocking whichever side you're trap you're practicing on, shoulder to shoulder, side by side, and then. When the tosser tosses, one blocker can go up, one blocker stays down, or two blockers go up. The coach can be behind the hitter signaling, and that way the hitter will get multiple reps facing that block. Really important they get they get those they get to see that block more over than, than anything. Okay, 
All right, that's it for me. I hope you guys got some value. I hope you got some takeaways from this. Um, I, I definitely have my notes here, so I'm sure you'll be able to take some things away from this. Uh, and if you need anything, I mean, as always, please share Please share the podcast. Reach out to me, Instagram, Brian Singh underscore Coach B is the IG. Um, you know, reach out there. If you have any questions, let me know. Um, and please do me a favor, you know, share the share the show. Or better yet, how about give me a rating? That's pretty cool. Give me a rating, uh, you know, or or um, or review. How about that? Like do a, re- a quick review. Let me know how you think about it. I do read all the reviews. So let me know how you think about it, you know, if it worked for you or not, and, uh, and share it. I'd love for you guys to share this episode. That'd be great. Okay, that's it for me. I will see you next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.